Welcome to Speaking Out. I thought I'd try a little different intro for the show today. Kind of an old classic from my old dusty record collection. And it's uh, aptly entitled Mood for the Day. Uh, where do we begin? Where, where, where can we start to dissect all the news of the last 24 hours? The storms are over in Los Angeles, and I know there's been mudslides, and my brother lives in uh, Joshua Tree, so I'm hoping he's okay. And I remember a, a, about a year ago when we had that horrific Hurricane Ian, and, man, I know what it's like to see an entire town, multiple towns, get wiped out. And it is not an easy thing. And it is not uh, it is not easily uh, remedied either because it takes energy, it takes people, and a lot of what is going to be used to put things right and bring normalcy back to those poor folks who live out in the high desert or in the low county or, or the hills is raw fossil fuel power, raw, real, non-sustainable energy, the kind that can power a truck and move a boulder, and you're not going to see one electric vehicle out there doing any of the cleanup or cleaning away a driveway that has been completely destroyed or a house. You will not see any electric vehicles out there doing the work that's needed to put things right. And that was the big lesson I learned. Let me tell you, the first thing you do when you don't have power and you don't have a cell phone is you look for gas. You know why? Because you need it. You need to start the generators so that you can keep your uh, food cold and you can uh, turn on your radio and you can listen to what's going on outside in the outside world. You can charge your cell phone so you could sit in your car because you don't have air conditioning. It's 100 degrees. Yeah, yeah, it's the aftermath. It's never the storm itself. It's the aftermath. So while they're crying about climate change and how this is historic, and every time they talk about the storm, they mention historic. It's not historic. It may be historic for us because we've only lived on the planet for, oh, I don't know, 80 80 years. But it's not historic. I mean, the amount of time that human beings have been alive represents like one one hundredth of of the amount of time that the earth has been in existence. It's more than that. It's one millionth, billionth. It's a crazy number. So get away from this historic, it's climate change. We need to stop using, uh, uh, you know, gas-powered equipment. It's BS, man. It's BS, I'm telling you. Right now, everybody is praying for an earth mover. One of them big cats with the big tires that come in and shovel that stuff out of there. People down in Cathedral City, they've been washed out. Climate change. And it's the same thing in Maui. We'll get to that in just a minute. In the last 24 hours, we've uh, we've heard from Joe Biden. He finally made it. Oh, I, gotta fi- I can't find that one. There's one soundbite I can't play because it's a bunch of people, the... the parade of cars are coming in with Joe Biden being led by a police force of 20 cars and black cars and all these cars. And the people, the Mowans, are they're hooting and hollering at the corner. Finally, he shows up. Finally, he shows up. F you. That's all you hear. They, they didn't want him coming there. Take, take your $700 and give it to the Ukrainians. That's how they feel. Anyway, so Biden made a day of it. A lot of photo op. 
had a 23-minute press conference with uh, little Miss uh, Miro, Miri, Mojito. What's her name? The useless Democrat that represents Hawaii. Anyway, so here is Biden cracking a joke. You guys catch the boots out here? Oh, he's the, that was Hero, oh, by the way. Hirohito, or whoever what her name is, making jokes about how hot the ground is, even though there's a dog, right, stepping. If it was really hot, that dog wouldn't be stepping there. Oh, here it is. Oh, no, we'll get to this. So this is the, the presser. Uh, I want to make sure I do this in order. Yeah, here's the presser where he forgets the, the mayor's name. And uh, Mayor Rick uh, Basson, uh, Rick, uh, when we talked on the phone, I never, I, you look like you played uh, in defensive tackle for, uh, I don't know who, but some, somebody good. Yes, he but can't even remember rate, his own reference. I want to thank you for your leadership. Yeah, and whatever your name is. During the unimaginable travesty. Yeah, travesty. My- yeah. yeah, you know, there's an old expression, come prepared, you know. When you when you're sitting on that plane for three hours, somebody should have write something and hand it to you. Okay, the name of the mayor is this. The name of the governor is this. The name of the island is Maui, and yes, it's really hot. And here is the famous, the Biden House Fire speech. This will go down in history. He's standing in a group of people who've lost their homes. Uh, they may never get their land back. They lost their children. There's still 800 people missing. It could be the third worst tragedy in U.S. history. And he does this. I don't want to compare difficulties, but we have a little sense, Jill and I, what it's like to lose a home. Years ago, now 15 years ago, I was in Washington doing Meet the Press. It was a sunny Sunday. And lightning struck at home. On a little lake, it's out. How, how much of that so far do you think is true? Do you think that he was giving a speech at that particular moment and somebody whisked over and called him, hey, there was a lightning that just struck your home? I mean, the the the, the layer of, of BS is so amazing with this man. Just imagine for a moment, he's recalling all this stuff from many, many, many year, years ago, and it wasn't a big fire. It took, they called the fire department, 20 minutes, something in the kitchen it's kind of like that scene from seinfeld where george costanza walks into the kitchen something's burning on the stove that was it that was it listen listen to the layers of deception as he's trying to be empathetic our home not a lake a big pond and hit a wire and came up underneath our home into the heating ducts the air conditioning duct to make a long story short i almost lost my wife my 67 Corvette <laughs> and my cat. But all kidding aside. Now, where, where was he kidding? Where was he kidding? What was he just saying that he thought he was kidding about something? With the Corvette? I mean, because he thought it was important enough to remember the Corvette that he didn't lose to these people who are sitting there wondering where their kid is? Watch the firefighters, the way they responded. No, there's no expression. I grew up right across the street from a fire hall in Claymont, Delaware. And the expression is, God made man, then he made a few firefighters. That was supposed to be a joke. Yeah, uh, nobody laughed. They're all crazy, thank God. The only people who run into flames 
to help other people. I think that's from the movie Fahrenheit 451, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the movie where they have firemen that go and burn homes. I, I think that's the reference. I think that's the line. We're the ones that run in to fires. And they ran into flames, saved my wife, saved my family. And none of that happened. None of that happened. I mean, if, if there was even a modicum of truth to what he said, there wouldn't be headlines. I, I actually have the headline. It's where, where is it? It's uh, uh, ah, OK. I found out here it is. Here's the from August 2nd, 2004. Lightning spark fire at Biden's house. Lightning struck the home of Senator Joe Biden, starting a small fire that was contained in the kitchen. Firefighters arrived to find heavy smoke coming from the house, but were able to keep the flames from spreading beyond the kitchen. Uh, luckily, we got out pretty early. The fire was under control in 20 minutes. So in Joe Biden's world, it was a major tragedy. He almost lost his cat. He almost lost his wife. He almost lost his car, which was not even near the house. And he's telling the story, trying to get empathy. Not a joke. The smoke and the firefighters here can tell you sometimes smoke is so thick from the windows out. It was that thick inside the home. And we were we were insured. We did not have any problem. But being out of our home for better part of a year. I mean, he's he's trying. He is really trying to relate and be empathetic. And no, I don't think anybody's buying it. I'm not buying it. Are you buying it? This guy isn't buying it. It is almost impossible to believe that this guy, that this old man, this Walmart greeter, this uh, fake installed president, you're a traitor. I know what you are. But hearing you talk about your house that, you know, had a little fire, you almost lost your cat in your Corvette. There are children that were incinerated to ash. You f old man, you vile human being. But don't hold back. Um, but the, the thing I think that everybody's going to remember, and somebody made a point of this, is the elections are only like a little more than a year away, and this is still going to be searing. And there are a lot of questions that are not being answered, and there's an unusual sort of silence around the whole thing with the restrictions of people who have access to, to the information. Um, the fact that they keep using the climate change argument that this was somehow a result of climate change when we know that it was faulty electrical grid, lack of water, the person in charge of the water wouldn't release water, uh, the person in charge of the siren wouldn't fire off the sirens, the alerts. I mean, it was almost as if, oh, and they made the kids stay home from school that day, which put them directly in harm's way. I mean, it's easy to see that the last thing that caused this thing was climate change. And yet they're going with that, just like they're going with it in California. And they want to get rid of all the gas-powered vehicles to fight climate change. Well, who's going to help when it comes time to dig through all the rubble? What are you going to do, get a Prius out there and a, and a trailer? So that's where we're at. Michael Letts is going to be joining us a little bit later on. We've got a lot of good stuff coming up. This is your Speaking Out, America. Jim Watkins, and we will continue. It's always a pleasure to have Michael Letts on. He's the CEO of Invest 
USA.org, which is an organization that helps law enforcement officers uh, be protected with vests. He's also involved in a lot of different projects, and it all has to do with improving safety in America for us, you and me. He's a former special forces, uh, a cop. Uh, he's done it all. He's he's seen it all, and we always like to pick his brain on things that are going on today as it pertains, uh, pertains to law enforcement. And, of course, I was struck, uh, Michael, uh, by a, a news headline that the Minneapolis police, they all quit. They just quit. Isn't that something? Have yeah, you ever that, heard of that, that before? That, no, that, that doesn't surprise me. That you're, in fact, you're not the first agency here in the last few months to have done that. There are quite a few departments across the country that are starting that trend. And what happens is the chief just takes a position that, look, if you're not going to bag my guys, and that's evidence in a bunch of different ways, whether it's they're a little concerned about their salary, they have no vest, mostly it comes down to policy, procedure, and who they're listening to. You see, because what happens is your mayors, your councils, they'll get in there and they'll write ordinances and tell the police chief he has to adopt them for his agency. And those policies and procedures can be anything from what kind of force you can use to uh, grab or to apprehend an assailant, what kind of calls you can respond to. When you have to break off from a chase, just things like that. And, of course, the policy members are saying, oh, we're watching out for the public's best interests. But, Jim, here's where the problem comes. If you've never once worn a badge, You've never even been on a ride-along. You have absolutely no idea what it feels like to be struggled between life and death trying to bring down an assailant. And now to place that burden on these officers, i got to remember, what did you tell me I could and couldn't do? One hesitancy. This will tell you that your military listeners will relate to this. Most people will. One hesitancy in your decision process, if it's not by natural reaction, you're dead. That's where you screw up. And so the police chief say, you know, you're just not going to do this to my guys. I'm quitting. And once he quits, of course, all the guys, why did you quit? When he relays that, hey, we're with you. We're going to find some other place to either work in law enforcement, some other place that respects us, or we'll go out and drive a garbage truck. It's much easier, make a lot more money, safer for our families. And that is what's transpiring, Jim, which is so scary across the country, not just in this one department that you read about. It's beginning to become a pattern, first of all, in smaller agencies. But it will escalate to the larger ones. The larger ones won't, won't have to have everybody quit because they'll have so few working they won't be able to accomplish their, their mission and their objective, and they'll have to shut them down. So this, uh, by the way, correction, it was not Minneapolis. However, uh, you rem- recall, Michael, right that, outside Minneapolis. Yeah, Goodhue. Good Hugh, Minnesota. But if you remember, it wasn't that long ago, maybe a month ago, that there was a scathing report that came out that implicated the Minneapolis-St. Paul police as being racist because they arrested too many African-American men. This is uh, Ilan Omar's district, is it not? Or I mean, she's uh, well, one district in that area. Yeah, one district. This call goes back to the defunded police, the the... Uh, hands up, don't shoot with Ferguson. And then, of course, you know, we had the the guy that was, uh, they made a hero out of him, uh, George Floyd. 
Correct. And, and, and what people don't know about George Floyd, the reason he was in Minneapolis is because he'd just gotten out of a state prison in in Texas where he was served five years for sticking a gun uh, into the stomach of a pregnant woman during a house robbery. And now that guy's a hero. It's unbelievable that we live in upside-down world. Why don't you tell me, tell us, what's going on in the mind of a cop in New York right now with the immigration problem, the crime, the uh, no-bail release? How how hard-hitting is that for a cop? What must they be going through? It's devastating. Uh, I get calls from them literally every day. And... um, Here's their mindset. Of course, they're calling me from a chaplain standpoint because uh, there's not an awful lot we can do currently with their situation. But when you look at the immigration issue, this administration would rather place your tax dollars on illegal immigrants than they would on providing security and safety for your, for your neighborhood. So how does that make a cop feel to think those who violate the law are more valuable? than those who risk their lives on the line every day to uphold the law and to protect you, to keep you safe. Then they look at the overall atmosphere for mass media. Cops are nothing but racist, bigots, et cetera, et cetera. Can't do their job. We should not have any respect for them. Then they realize that we have the highest suicide rate, the highest attrition rate, and the highest line of uh, death and the line of duty rate we've ever experienced in history. And then they have to go back to their families, their husbands, their wives, whatever it may be, and have to hear that, hey, we can barely pay the bills. I'm tired of having to wonder whether you walk out the door, whether you're coming back. Can we not do better? Yeah. And that is a real serious question, Jim. And that is why you're seeing them leave in droves. Here's the problem. I'm going to give you, I want to give encouragement your listeners on the flip side. Cops and even, hey, special forces are not normal people. They have a passion and a drive to serve their fellow man and to protect. That's the way God builds them. And so they are torn with doing to what is fulfilling to them, what is what, what they think is the best purpose for their life between that and then trying to maintain a normal family and being supported by those that they work for. They should never have to deal with the latter two. We should respect their calling. Romans 13 tells us that. We should respect their calling, and we should do everything within our power and means to make sure they have the tools necessary to uphold the calling in their lives that God has brought to them. You know, that's such such a touching thing that you say, and and the fact that these guys are really... Uh, and gals are literally superheroes. They go out and they throw themselves in harm's way. I mean, you never know when you pull over a car what's going to happen. Is this person going to pull out a gun? Maybe I'll find some weed on them or drugs, and they'll, they have priors. They don't want to go back to jail. You don't know anything other than you. What Do you know any statistics like what's the life expectancy of a cop? Uh, what's the length of years they average before they just burn out? Any any kind of statistics like that? Yes, they average less than 10 years. Oof. And remember, retirement's done, and we, and we have done in the past. I mean, this is past. This is when we used to respect cops. We wanted to do something for them. We brought down the age from 25, I mean, the years from 25 to 20. 
20 years of service would gather you minimal retirement. But we can't even give them to last for 20 years now. They just burn out. And here is the threat that America needs to understand. As we lose officers every day, I've used this illustration countlessly across the country. When you have 100 officers, people expect 100 officers worth of protection. When now you're down to 70, they still expect 100 hour, 100 officers worth of protection. So the chiefs and the rest of them are trying to add overtime, doubling up to try to get you the same amount of protection, even though we have fewer officers. What that? Now you can do that for a small period of time, but for a long period of time, you're going to burn the other 70 out. They're going to be gone, and then you're going to end up with nothing. And we have nobody. And this is what I want to stress to America. We have hardly anybody, very few, I wouldn't say nobody, but very few people in the ranks willing to step up and go to the academy and wear a badge. So once these seasoned officers leave, we're in trouble. We're stuck. Hang on for a minute. I want to talk about the defunding project and what that involved and, and also talk about new crime statistics. We're talking with Michael Lett, CEO of InvestUSA.org. And we will continue our conversation about law enforcement and what they're facing in the world today. You're listening to Speaking Out America. Don't forget our podcast, Speaking Out America, on Spotify. And my new website, which is Jim Watkins One. That's the number one, of course.com. We'll be right back. back speaking out america jim watkins my guest is michael letts of investusa.org and we're talking about uh, crime and uh, the rising crime levels do we know uh michael statistically what crime looks like in america today crime is up by 42 percent in the last year alone that's amazing violent crime i'm not talking about somebody running over your mailbox I'm talking about violent crime. Violent crime is, uh, is defined as murders, rapes, assaults, robberies, burglaries. Uh, my son is in home uh, security, so anybody who needs home security, give me a call. <laughs> I don't mean <laughs> yeah, to laugh at this, but... It is definitely needed, Jim. I'll tell you, it is... Uh, I have never seen anything like this in all my years. And you say, what are you referring to? You say you've never seen anything like this. Such impunity for a disrespect for authority. I have, well, let me just use classic illustrations. I'm on, I'm on the road and uh, unmarked, but you can definitely tell it's a police vehicle. Yeah. And they'll blow by me. Literally blow. I mean, they're doing 90 to 100 miles an hour. Don't care. Uh, you have people uh, in stores. I think I, want, I think I like this. I can't pay for it, but I think I like it. I'm going to just take it and walk out the door challenge you to do anything about it. Um, and then we have created a culture to where those who still have values and principles somehow get reprimanded or, or, or criticized for trying to ups the whole stand up for law and order to tell that guy, don't, you can't walk out the door without paying for that. Yeah. Oh, they, no, 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 just, just, just let it go. It's not worth, it's not worth the efforts. But when you send that message, not just in one little town, but it quickly, 
filters across the country. What do you expect? People would then begin to accept it as that's just the way it is. And if I may not agree with it principle-wise, but heck, everybody else is doing it. I'm about to do it myself. That's where you begin to have the definitions of anarchy, and that's where we're headed. And it comes from what? What is it? An economic? Is this just a wave? If it's temporary, it is not economic. We we need to go back to the source of our issues. The source of our problem was back in the '60s when we decided, uh, as parents across this country, that you know, uh, I'm more interested in making money than I am in raising my family. But I've got I've got to do both. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my kids in a public school system, and I'm just going to trust them to uh, to raise them up, do the right thing. And that was a huge mistake, because then when they came back, well, we need to remove God from schools. What did they mean by removing God from schools? What they really meant was anything with values and principles, they removed. So we raised generation after generation that everything is humble. It's not right. It's not wrong. And then we begin to go after, well, there's no real value in human life. That's why we had Roe versus Wade. We can kind of decide what are the productive lives and what are not. And then after we spent decades doing that, now suddenly we wonder why we have generations of younger people out there who have no respect for authority. I tell people this. This is the saddest part. Yes, yeah, not 60- and 70-year-old men out there that are getting into trouble. Now, I'm not saying there's not some of them that are not. But... It's this younger generation. And why is it? We raise it without values and principles. That has to change, and we have to bring back equal justice for all. We have to restore justice if our country is to survive. Talk to me about this whole defund. How does a, a typical police department in any town, Charleston, South Carolina, you know, Linwood, California, although that's in L.A. County, so that's a sheriff jurisdictional thing but what is it about where does the budget come from enlighten us on how does a police department get a budget well even in the county the county your county councils provide the budget for the sheriff's department city city councils provide the budget so it's always a a mayor or a chairman of a county council and and that governmental body that oversees the law enforcement in that jurisdiction they provide the funding and here's where they're coming from is they are constantly pounded from liberal interests that say, look, we can uh, do more for our constituents. We need to have uh, more options. We need to give them a parade. We need to have free hot dog day. And uh, this will, will cause people to love our government and to not commit crimes. What a fallacy. But you have council members, you have politicians, who remember they grew up without any values or principles to say, sure, okay, now how are we going to fund it? Well, you only got 10 bucks. You're giving that 10 bucks to the police department. Give them eight. Put $2 in my thing. Because after all, at the end of the day, you're going to help the police department because they won't have as, many, as much crime to have to deal with because these people are going to be so appreciative. And they buy that garbage is what it is, Jim. And then suddenly violent crime goes up. But now what if you sent the message to law enforcement? You're not of any value. You're not any more valuable than a hot dog. So they decide, okay, if that's the way you feel about me and that you have that right, I'll go find some other place to work. Either another agency or I'm going to get out of it all together. Then when government says, ooh, we may have made a slight mistake, okay, we'll, we'll give you those $2 back. Nah. If you don't have enough respect 
and want to give us the right policies and back us, I'm not risking my family and my life for the way I've just really finally dawned on me how y'all really feel about me. I'm fine. I'm not coming back. And that's where we're at today. Mm -hmm. So needless to say, what does an average cop make these days? Did you already mention that? No, I didn't. It depends on the jurisdiction. Let me me tell you. Let me give some statistics that your listeners need to hear. First of all, 80% of officers across this country work in rural agencies, small-town America. They don't work in NYPD. They don't work in LAPD. They work in rural America, 80%. Now, rural America doesn't have that as big as a tax base. Yeah. So sometimes you see these officers coming in at 25000 a year, 32000 40000 a year. You say, well, 40000 yeah, they can barely pay the light bills. When the car breaks down, they're stuck. And yet, look at what we're asking them to do. Yeah. We're asking them to literally put their lives on the line. They may not come home that afternoon. And that's all they're worth. Um, the same thing with fire firefighters, with EMS workers, because you remember we're losing them by droves as well. And we as a society, the same thing happened to us years back, Jim, when we suddenly thought our education system was going to pot. Of course, we looked at it the wrong way. We just said, well, our teachers are not teaching. We didn't look at what they were teaching. Yeah. And so we quickly as a nation said, well, we're going to all go in there and jump in and give all a bunch of pay raises and try to make education be the finest. Well, just giving them money doesn't solve the problem. But we did rally, and we gave them additional money. We have never done that for law enforcement in the history of this country. We've never done it for first responders. We just take them for granted. We just assume they'll be there. And now we're having to wake up to reality, and it's not a pretty sight. You know, if it, things keep happening this way, <clears throat> I what I envision is pretty soon when you go into a store, it will be either a retina scan or some sort of a security scan so that every person that comes in ha- is identified which, by the way, I do not want this scenario. I think that's a horrible way of living. It's basically a totalitarian state under the guise of safety. I think what you right. said is true. I think they want to federalize law enforcement. I mean, sure. robo-dogs are coming soon where you'll have these mechanical contrivances that can you know, hold you in place, zap you, electrocute you. I mean, this is dystopian, but it's right around the corner because... We already have the technology, and it's always under the guise of safety. I was not a big fan of those uh, body cams. I think that's completely, right. you know, people act differently when they know they're being filmed. You know, that is correct. They, they question their judgment. They're more worried about if their hair is out of, or if they say the wrong thing, or maybe that was racist what I said. Who knows? But it impedes their ability to act quickly when decisive, you know, uh, action is required. Like when a man has a gun and you don't know if it's a gun or if it's a pistol or if it's a water gun or maybe it's a can of soda. You don't know. I mean, I would want yeah, to be a cop. Would you be a cop again if you? No. You'd ask me a question when you're off the air. Did my son want to follow my footsteps? The answer was yes. And I very strongly encourage you, please don't. Uh, because this, this profession is in such disarray that we have to make some substantial changes to our country before I can ever feel safe and recommending any young person to do the same again. Yeah. I mean, I've been tempted a couple of times. It'd be, I'd be proud to be a police officer, but man, I don't want to get my head blown off. And that's what these guys are against. I mean, you know, and, and nobody's going to come to their rescue. I feel sorry for the guy in the, in the, the cop in Minneapolis 
who just stood by. He didn't do anything to George right. Floyd, and he got five years. That's correct. And you he know. actually he did his job. And he did, he did what, what he was paid he was to do. Trained to do. Yeah. And uh, you know that whole George Floyd issue, uh, he just is so so frustrating because coroner's report shows that he had tremendous level of drugs in his system that goes without dispute. But they don't know for a fact how he died. Was it the drugs that caused the association, or was it a knee? I can tell you this. It probably either one helped, but to suddenly blame an officer who is uh, apprehending an assailant who has a rap sheet pages and pages long and has drugs in his system, but then to blame everything on him is just totally uncalled for. Yeah, it'll be interesting how history records because you know and I know they're going to leave all that out. You know, <clears throat> they made it the uh, the pivotal racial issue, you know, the equivalent of the Rosa Parks. And what it's done right. is it's fueled... And more in the black community where children are being raised and they're being taught by their mothers, don't trust those people. You know what I find interesting, Jim? It's survey after survey. And they they never, the FBI, this is why I have such problems with the Department of Justice. They never release these studies. But every consistent uh, survey in the black communities who show the black communities are begging for more law enforcement, not asking that they be defunded. That's not surprising. Michael, we've run out of time. MichaelLetz.com is a great website. It's uh, two T's. And then also, uh, of course, investusa.org. Michael Letts, law enforcement specialist, joining us here. Uh, be safe, and we'll talk to you again real soon. And uh, happy Labor Day as well. Be well, my friend. Thank you. Take care, Jim. God bless you. God bless America. And thank you for joining me on this edition of Speaking Out America. I'm Jim Watkins. See you next time. <laughs>